Welcome to XX Will Travel, a podcast for independent women travelers. I'm Kathy Polkerbeck. And I'm Inez Bellina. And today we're here with Jen Kramer, our expert on Baja, Mexico. Ooh. I just learned today that Baja, California is in Mexico, <laughs> as opposed to California, <laughs> which is maybe the dumbest thing I've thought of all year. <laughs> Well, whatever. We gotta start somewhere. Gotta start somewhere. So I'm here to learn, is what I'm saying. (laughs) So together with her husband, Chris, Chris and Jen run the Baja Test Kitchen, curating and sharing Baja's burgeoning food, wine, and craft beer movement is their passion. Jen is also the author of the Moon Baja Handbook, considered the Bible of Baja California travel guides and began her explorations of Baja as a little girl with her parents, Hugh and Carol, in the 1980s. Um, on the first trips that she and her husband took, they were both caught They both caught the Baja bug, and they haven't been able to or wanted to shake it since. Over the years, they've explored just about every town, village, surf break, and fishing camp on the Baja Peninsula, and in 2013, they launched Baja Test Kitchen and began offering tasting tours to Mexico's Valle de Guadalupe wine region, Ensenada, and Tijuana. And I was fortunate enough to go on one of those tours. <laughs> and Kathy came back raving about it. Yes. So welcome, Jen. We, we look forward to learning a lot from you because I was like, oh, new discovered Baja California. No one goes here, but it turns out. It's no one from Chicago. <laughs> or other parts of the country as well. Exactly. <laughs> but everyone in California, I tried to book a, 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 like, get an Airbnb or a hotel, and I was like, oh, they're all booked. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone else knows about it. Well, we're here to blow that <laughs> wide open. Yes, and reveal the secrets of yes. the Baja Peninsula. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's so interesting because everyone on the West Coast here, especially in Southern California, obviously knows Baja California because it's right here in our backyard. Um, but I can definitely tell you from living in New York for over a decade that, you know, people on the East Coast don't really know what Baja California is. They've maybe heard of Cabo, and they know that that's in Mexico, but they have no idea that it's actually in Baja, California as well. So, um, you know, it's something that we really take for granted, and we're so lucky to have right here in our backyard in Southern California. Less than two hours away from San Diego, we've got Tijuana, Ensenada, Valle de Guadalupe with all of the wineries and just really incredible food and beautiful beaches and all of these amazing things that are right in our backyard here. So we're so lucky to have that. And it so surprised me how easy it is to get there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's really just, it's just driving, you know, the border is super easy to cross. You just drive right on down and, it, and it's right here. It really is in our backyard. Yeah. Like for when I went on my trip with my friend, because, you know, San Diego is great, but we just kind of wanted I wanted to do something a little more, um, you know, I guess far flung. And we took the trolley from basically out two steps from our hotel. We took the trolley to Tijuana and met your husband who led our tour, Chris. And then at the end of the day, he dropped us off in Tijuana and we walked over the border. And it was just a really super fun and super easy day trip. I know for one day, I mean, it's just so neat that you have it right there that, you know, like you did in one day, 
you can go down and it's right there and have this totally exotic and unique experience that you wouldn't get in the U.S. And delicious, I might add. (laughs) Yes, absolutely delicious. I am really convinced that we have the best food anywhere in Northern Baja. It really is so fantastic. Yeah, I believe it. (laughs) So for, for... For the unfortunate souls who have not been to Baja like me, <laughs> what, are some, yes. what are some of like your favorite places in Baja? Kind of what are the big hits of the area? I mean, the peninsula itself is so large. You know, the whole thing is about a thousand miles. So if you were to start in Tijuana and drive all the way down to Cabo, it would take you three to four days. So we're talking about a long peninsula here. So definitely the northern area that you got to explore is just so special with all of the food and wine and beer and all of that. And then once you drive a little bit farther south, you get so many other really unique experiences along the peninsula. Um, If you go down in wintertime, we get the gray whales migrating down from Alaska and they come down to have their babies and nurse their babies down in, in three lagoons that we've got on the peninsula. And so you can go out in these pongas, which are little fishing boats, and you go out into the lagoons and you get to actually pet and hug and kiss these gray whales out in the wild. It's just so incredible. So you've got unique experiences like that. We have cave paintings all over the peninsula that are over 7,500 years old. And they're these massive, like huge and really impressive cave paintings that are just beautiful. And you'll be the only ones there who are enjoying them. It's really incredible. Of course, we've got the deserts and the oceans and, you know, surfing, fishing, kayaking, diving, snorkeling. I mean, tons of outdoor activities. There's just really so much to explore along the whole peninsula. And then you get these awesome little colonial towns that are sort of sprinkled along the peninsula. So you've got really neat little places like Santos and Loreto, where you get these cute little quaint colonial towns with little plazas and outdoor restaurants and places to eat and little shops and old missions that are there. And it's really just, you know, the peninsula is full of so many different wonders. Every time you turn a corner, there's a new fabulous thing to explore. So you started, your connection to Baja is a family connection, and you've been visiting since you were a kid, correct? Exactly. My parents have been going down since the 1960s and 70s, and they started taking me down when I was six months old. So that was back in the early 80s. Um, And my parents started Discover Baja Travel Club 26 years ago, and we're just a, we're a business for people who are traveling down to Mexico, down to Baja specifically. We help you with all of your paperwork and things like that so that you can get the best out of your experience. So I do the, I'm the marketing director for Discover Baja as well. So I've been going down since I was a baby, you know, which has been really, really special. And there's one, and it was, sorry, there's one highway that goes all the way down the peninsula. It's just this one. It's been paved since um, the early 1970s, but so many of the other roads that are off of this main highway are not paved. And that's still the case today. You still get all of these cool unpaved roads that you can take and explore and find all of these neat things at the end of these dirt roads that you come stumbling upon. And that's been the same way that it's been since I was little. You know, a lot 
some has changed, some hasn't. Towns now have are on the grid and have electricity. When I was young, we would stop in places to spend the night and the whole town would be hooked up to a generator that went off by, you know, 9 p.m. at night. And after that, there was no power and you'd have to light candles. <laughs> and now, um, now towns have electricity and they've got some paved roads and they even have Wi-Fi in certain places. So that's neat. But a lot of the peninsula has really sort of, you know, maintained this like rustic quality that attracts a lot of people. It's sort of like, you know, the last frontier that's still out there where people can go and, and have an experience and sort of be be unconnected for a little bit. Well, let's talk a little bit about how Mexico is kind of, is in general being seen right now. I mean, when people hear Tijuana, they don't usually think vacation destination. Like, you know, these right. awful kind of images of like, cartels and trafficking and other sorts of crimes kind of come up. So what do you tell people who think that Mexico is too dangerous to visit right now? It is a question that we get a lot, unfortunately. And the U.S. State Department has put up some advisories recently that have scared a lot of U.S. citizens. But, you know, the violence that, that we hear about in the U.S. and in the media and everything is very, very targeted. It's you know, it's drug cartel related and it, and it's super targeted. So we always tell our customers that unless you're dealing drugs or somehow involved with the drug cartels in Mexico, there's really, you know, no reason to be afraid of traveling, traveling in Baja and in Mexico. We had a, a meeting a couple of years ago and the, the head of ACS, American Citizen Services from the Tijuana Consulate was there. And he's someone who helped to write the travel advisory for the State Department for the region. And he mentioned that basically the State Department writes these travel warnings as though they're writing them for a college student from Oklahoma who's never been out of the country and is headed on spring break, you know, for their first time. So basically, you know, they, they try to be overly cautious in, in their warnings. And I know that that can sometimes scare people, but, you know, we really, we get clients who are coming with us on tour and it's their first time in Mexico. Sometimes they're a little bit trepidatious or they have friends and family at home. We're warning them against going and like, you know, a hundred percent of the time they have a, a fabulous experience. And at the end of the day, they're saying to us, man, I can't believe that people are afraid to come here. And just to put it in perspective, the U.S. state of Missouri also has a travel warning. I believe it is from the U.S. <laughs> state department. <laughs> yes. Well, and several countries have now issued travel warnings for the U.S. because of the mass shootings and, you know, kind Seriously, of the racial violence I, that's been going on. Absolutely. It's sort of our joke down there in Baja. We'll all be out and it's like, oh, I have to go up to the U.S. tomorrow. And people will be like, be careful, man. Be careful up there. It's dangerous. <laughs> It's very true, though. I know. We're, we're, yeah. we're laughing to stop from crying. Right? Yeah. I know. Seriously. And I kind of would like to keep it secret. Like, if you don't want to go, yeah. <laughs> more, more wine I for know. me. A, a lot of our customers and clients, you know, feel the same way, especially at Discover Baja. A lot of our, you know, longtime members will come in and they'll be almost like glad when a travel advisory has come out because they're like, great, less people down there, more for me to enjoy. Exactly. Exactly. I can see why. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you come up with the idea for the Baja Test Kitchen? Because it's just tell us a little bit about what it is and then kind of explain um, how how you decided to uh, 
go forward with this venture. Sure, of course. So my husband and I really wanted a platform to be able to share all of the incredible food and wine and beer that are coming out of Northern Baja right now. So we decided to come up with Baja Test Kitchen and um, a lot of our business ends up being, you know, doing tours, but we also do cooking workshops. We host events both south of the border and north of the border, and we're just involved in, in really anything we can to promote this region. Between my husband and I, we've, you know, lived in a lot of really great places around the world. We've lived in New York, San Francisco, Paris, London, and we choose to live in Northern Baja because, you know, we feel that what's going on in that region is, is really that special. And, you know, food and wine and beer and all of that in general is just, it's such an incredible and enjoyable way to get to know a culture and a region. For me personally, there's nothing that I enjoy, enjoy more than sitting down for, you know, a delicious and relaxing meal with great wine and a beautiful outdoor setting. And you're looking over the vineyards and you're having great conversation and really enjoying yourself. That's, you know, for us, that's just one of the most enjoyable experiences that you can have. And we really enjoy showing, sharing that with other people. So you guys offer uh, food tours, wine tours, and, and beer tours. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So how do you go about creating a great, uh, like, food tasting tour? You know, I think we spend way more time than our customers realize working out the places that we're going to take them on tours. There are so many options down there. We have over 150 wineries down in Valle de Guadalupe right now. And there's really only a handful that we've selected that sort of meet all of our criteria. Because, you know, the region is so incredible and we want people who join us for a tour to walk away with a sense of the best that the region really has to offer after just spending a day there. So we work really hard to curate our tours and the places that we're taking everyone so they can have that incredible experience. So there's a number of things that we're looking for. We look for places that have, you know, a really beautiful or impressive setting. They, of course, have to have great food, wine, beer, good customer service. And then places that are reliable, you know, as tour leaders, we're so dependent on our vendors, the restaurants and wineries and breweries to be able to provide a good experience for, for our customers. And that means, you know, it has to be a consistent experience as well. So that, you know, every single time we're taking a, a tour there, our customers are, are getting that, that same great experience. And we've been really lucky to find some, some winery and restaurant partners who who are able to give that experience to our clients. Another thing that's really challenging when you're working in a developing country is bridging U.S. expectations with the realities of a, de a developing country. Um, you know, in Mexico, the culture is just, it's so different. It's so relaxed and laid back, and it's so wonderful. But, you know, people in the U.S. are not used to that. You know, they have more of an expectation of things happening quickly and efficiently and on time. So, we spend um, a lot of our time sort of bridging that gap of those expectations and then the realities of what we can deliver. Yeah, for sure. And I noticed I go on a lot of these tours in my, because I travel a lot solo and I find that they're a good way to meet people and get to know the region. And I was really right. impressed by the fact that it seemed like you guys work really hard on developing relationships with yeah, with the people you work with and the fact that like Chris, your husband can just walk in and be like, hey, and you know, it's not like 
a show for the for the, so, the, the tour people, you know. And, and that's, you know, what's special about this region also is that it's as it's sort of burgeoning right now, you know, you can still go into a winery and the winemaker will be there and you can meet them. So we look for places like that where the owners are around and present and get to meet our, our clients because they think that's you know, makes for a personable experience where you can really sort of relate more to the wines and what they're doing and, and, and get a lot out of that experience. I will say it definitely yeah. makes it feel like you're more of an insider and you're getting a more authentic experience than if you're on a bus with 40 other people and getting <laughs> <laughs> dropped off at a of vineyard course, for half an hour. Yeah. yeah, and it's it is really that intimate experience, you know, that we want to share with, with our clients. It's what we love about the region. And so it's, of course, one of the most important things to share with our customers. Well, for people who might be going to other locations besides Baja but want to take uh, a food tour or a wine tasting tour, do you have tips on how they can seek out some, like, a tour that is great and authentic? You know, put in your homework ahead of time, and it's important to find a tour that matches your own style. I mean, for wine tours especially, there are lots of tours where you go out there and they just sort of get you drunk, and it doesn't matter, you know, it'll be, you know, a place where they, where they do, like, free tastings, and it's not good wine, but, you know, the point is just to, to drink wine and get drunk, and we run higher quality wine tours where it's more about learning about the region and the culture through the wine and food. And I think that a lot of travelers are sort of speaking more of that these days. Size can be a good indicator. Um, usually tours that are, you know, packing people into a big bus are not, not going to be as personable and they're taking you to sort of larger, more commercial places where you're not going to get that special experience. So they're going to be more, more tourist trap type places. You can also tell a lot about companies, I think, from looking at their website, the ones that, you know, really try to offer that authentic experience. I think that shows through a lot on their website. And now, you know, we've got great tools like TripAdvisor and Yelp and things like that. And then also, you know, I and this is hard for me because I tend to be very frugal, but it's usually a good idea not to just go with a tour company because they're offering the lowest price because you usually get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. That's so true. So I'm sure because you're on these wine tours, you've seen behavior that runs the gambit, to put it, to put it nicely. <laughs> that <is> true. So, <laughs> so do you have any advice for, for tips for good wine tour etiquette? Yes. I mean, my number one rule is please don't get too drunk. It's really, it's not enjoyable for anyone that you're on the tour with it's not enjoyable for the tour guide it's not enjoyable for the people who are working at the wineries and restaurants so you know it's wine tasting not wine chugging so um you know that's really the number one rule in my book the other thing especially if you're doing wine a wine tour in a different country is to just you know, and this goes, I guess, for travel in general is just to be culturally sensitive and try to be a good ambassador of the U.S. You know, don't be the ugly American who's being really loud and rowdy or assuming that people in Mexico should speak English or accept U.S. dollars or, you know, any of that sort of ugly behavior. And then also, you know, if you're out on a wine tour and you're able to, sometimes there are, you know, restraints, especially like in our situation with how much wine you can bring across the border and whatnot. But if they're able to, it's nice to buy a bottle of wine 
sometimes a case of wine, um, you know, at wineries where you, you really enjoyed their, their product. I think it's a nice way to sort of support the wineries and the winemakers that have opened up their doors to, to let you into their, their home and to try a little bit of their wine and, and, and enjoy their experience. Which was my only beef is that when we were walking over the border, I think we could take, what is it, one bottle? Uh, one. I know. It's such a bummer. It's really like our biggest problem. In, in dealing with running wine tours down to Mexico is that there's a, there's a limit on it, which is just so sad a lot of the time. It's so sad. Like, I would have taken a case, like, easy. I would yeah. have packed a rolly bag and just rolled it through <laughs> across the border. Yeah. I know. It's a huge, huge problem. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to find a way to get around it yet, but we're working on it. But And I would like to give a shout-out to my friend Alexis, who let me take her wine allowance. So I got to take two bags. Oh, well, there's a little loophole. <laughs> so one of the coolest things I think that you're doing is that you are leading a tour specifically focused on the women winemakers of Valle de Guadalupe. And yeah. I think it's awesome. I think they should be highlighted. And I'm just really curious about this tour and who the participants are and, like, who goes on this tour. Like, tell us. Everything. <laughs> you know, like so many industries, the winemaking industry is super male dominated. And it honestly, I, I feel ashamed to say this, but it's not even something that I realized until probably six months ago. And we were on tour. We were at one of our, one of our favorite wineries, La Chusa, and we were down in the wine cave and we're talking um, with the winemaker there. And one of the, the young women on our tour says, this is so cool. I just love that we're meeting with the winemaker and that she's a female. And I sat there sort of stunned for a moment and hadn't even realized how special that was. And it started to make me really hyper aware of the fact that we have very few female winemakers in Valle de Guadalupe. You know, we've got 150 wineries and I think, you know, fewer than 10 of them have female winemakers. It's just a very small percentage making wine but I have to tell you that those few women that there are making some of the best wines that are coming out of the region so it really got me you know on this idea that I wanted to do a tour that that highlighted these women who are making this these great wines and really sort of give them credit where, where credit was due and do mostly is it mostly women who sign up for these tours or do you get pretty mixed groups in general, we get more women than men doing our wine tours just because it's a fun thing to do with your girlfriends or whatnot. But, but yeah, definitely a, a lot of women who are, who are interested in, that, in those tours. And are there any women winemakers, any wineries you'd like to give a shout out to? Lechuza Winery with Kristen Shute as the winemaker is incredible. There's um, also Lulu Martinez, who is the winemaker at Henri Lerton. And Joanne Knox at Ventango. Those are probably my my favorite three of the winemakers. We also are our oldest um, oldest winery in in this region, which is Santo Tomas. It was started in 1888, and their head winemaker is a female, Laura Zamora, um, which is is huge. That so you've got this old winery that's so steeped in all of this tradition, and they're huge and they're famous and very well known. And they've got a female winemaker, and that's that's really special. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. What kind of wines are usually made in Baja? You know, we get a lot of um, 
varietals that you'd, you'd be used to seeing in like Napa. We do Merlot, Chardonnay, sort of our rising stars right now in Valle de Guadalupe, which are something that are a little bit different is we have a Tempranillo, which is a Spanish wine. Um, and then we have a Nebbiolo, which is an Italian wine. And those are sort of two of our rising stars that are a little more unique. And, you know, of course, with the, the terroir, the land, as we call it in, in winemaking, um, our, our Tempranillo and Nebbiolo in, in Mexico are different than the, you know, than the Tempranillos and Nebbiolos that are coming out of Italy and Spain. So those have sort of become two really special wines for our region. We're going to have to go on a field trip after this. Yes. <laughs> Research, <Absolutely>. obviously. <laughs> In terms of uh, Baja chefs and restaurants, are there any uh, places that you're or people you're particularly excited about? Oh, there's so many. Um, and a lot of them are sort of, you know, starting to get, you know, recognition on a more international level. Um, one of my favorite chefs is Diego Hernandez from Corazón de Tierra, which is a restaurant that's consistently on San Pellegrino's top 50 restaurants in Latin America. And it's invited Guadalupe. He's just, he's an incredible chef and a really genuinely nice guy. Um, he just opened Verlaine Restaurant in LA, which is great. We have Javier Placencia, who is probably our, our poster boy for, for chefs in Baja, California. He's got Cinco Sassano in Valle Guadalupe, Mission 19 in Tijuana, Hassan Mango, which is new down in Soda Santos. Um, and he comes from a, a family of restaurateurs have got probably a dozen restaurants in in Baja. Some other really, really talented chefs that are lesser known. Um, You've got Roberto Alcocer from Malva, Mario Peralta from Fuego. And then one of my favorite couples down there, um, Omar Armas, who is an incredible chef. He's just super, super talented. And then um, his partner, Lulu Martinez, who I mentioned earlier, is one of the amazing winemakers from Henri Leton. So they're a really neat couple. What was his um, name you kind of cut out? Omar Arma. Omar Arma. Okay. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> here's, our, here's our blue sky question. Um, <laughs> what, what, what do you feel is the, the current status of the woman foodie slash wino traveler and entrepreneur? And do you think, are you seeing them in increasing numbers? Definitely seeing them increasing numbers. You know, I think in general, women travelers are on the rise and also foodie travelers are on the rise. Um, I think when we sort of think of, you know, foodie wino travelers, we have, you know, people like Anthony Bourdain who pop into our mind and, and whatnot. So specifically within that niche, I think that there's still a lot of growth for women. But, you know, you're seeing more and more which is, is really incredible. I think it's just a fun time for, for women travelers in general. And food and wine is just such an incredible way to experience travel. Well, what I really loved about Baja is you mentioned Anthony Bourdain, and people love him because he goes to Vietnam and has a shot with a beating cobra's heart in it. Like, <laughs> you know, good for you if you want to do that. But I found Baja to be the food there and the wine to be so accessible. Like, I feel like everyone can enjoy it. And it's, you know, no one's going to go to a restaurant and be like, oh, what is this? You know what I mean? Um, so do, totally. you, do you feel the same way? 
Absolutely. And the best thing about this region is that, yes, we have restaurants that are on the San Pellegrino list for top restaurants, and you can go in and have a beautiful and curated and an amazing dining experience for, you know, a fraction of the price that you would pay for an experience like that other places in the world. But you can also go down to Ensenada and eat at a street cart and have some of the best seafood tostadas that you will ever have in your life. So, you know, it really runs the gamut of, you know, street food to fine dining and everything in between. And you're going to get a quality meal whether you're at a taco stand or, or having a fine dining experience. Yeah. Uh, well, you've given me a lot of reason to go to Baja, California in Mexico. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So what's next for Baja Test Kitchen? What do you guys have on the horizon? Well, we have a number of things that we're, we're always working on you know, new and different tours and new and different events. We're trying to start a Baja wine club um, so that we can help bridge the problem of only being able to, to bring back one bottle across the border. And then we're also trying to work on putting together some um, longer format trips that will go further down the peninsula where people will get to do a trip with us and pet the gray whales and see some cave paintings and do some really neat sort of exploring um, along the peninsula. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, sign us yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Come out anytime. All right. So yeah. I think that's that's about it. Jen, can you let us let our listeners know where they can find you, what like social media and stuff like that? Of course, our website is bajateskitchen.com. Um, we're on Facebook as well as on Instagram, Baja Test Kitchen Tours. Um, and then my website is Jennifer C. Kramer and Jennifer C. Kramer on Instagram as well. And that's all Baja related as well. Yay. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, being with us here today and talking to us about Baja and all the wonderful Thank wines. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I've had a great time. So now here is Inez in one of our newer segments called Top 3 Tips, where we take something very simple and advise you. How do we do this? Advise you. We just break it down into three bite-sized suggestions. <laughs> Based on a topic of our choosing. Yes. So today I'm going to give you Sorry. top three tips on how to deal with sleep deprivation while on a trip. But first, I think it's very interesting how you got the idea yes. for these top three tips. So this isn't going to be me just talking, you know, out of my butt about how to help <laughs> um, you with this. I was actually uh, on a lift, as one does, and I got talking to the driver, and my driver used to be in the Army, and he told me that he actually, in the Army, they trained him to stay awake for like a whole 36 hours. I can't remember exactly what unit or you know, what specific, like, team he was on, but this was part of his job. And I asked him, well, how do you do that? Because if I sleep less than seven hours, I feel like a baby. And so these are the tips that he gave me. Uh, number one, hydration is key. You just need to keep chugging water all the time. Um, you want your bladder to actually be active because it will just kind of give, like, 
give out, you know, the message to the rest of your body that you're still awake, that this is happening, and they can't shut down right now. Huh. Bladder alarm clock. Yeah, bladder alarm clock. So just keep chugging water as much as you can. The other is that when you're very, very tired but need to keep active is give yourself tiny tasks that are very focused in the moment. So for like the example he gave me, you know, was when he was driving, he would just really focus on the idea of like, oh, in order for me to get to this next destination, I have to turn left here, turn right here. And he would just constantly repeat those instructions and kind of check it, check it off mentally in his mind. So I think for travel, it's one of those things where you can't, you can't obsess over the fact that you're tired. You really need to be like, well, today I'm going to this museum and seeing five different paintings and just keep in mind that that is your objective. That is all you really need to do <laughs> and cross off. And the third tip he gave me was breathing is really important. So you just want to make sure that all, the, all those yoga classes you took kick in. And just calmly, you know, breathe in and out. Maybe give yourself some time to kind of do like a little breathing exercise and make sure, again, that you're just really filling in oxygen, that you're not like getting out of breath if you can help it, um, and, and just pace yourself. So, yeah. Water, tasks, <laughs> breathing. Very easy, guys. Excellent. But also take a nap. It's your vacation. Right. (laughs) You can sleep whenever you want to on vacation. Yes. So so that's it for top three tips. And that is also it for this episode. If you love us and want to get more, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can also follow us on Podbean. And you can find us where most podcasts are found. We also have a website, xxwilltravel.com. You can sign up for our newsletter there, which gives you a little insight and more tips and info that we don't share on episodes. So it's good times. We're also on all the social medias, right, Kathy? At xxwilltravel. Yep. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the works. So that is all. All right. And until next time, go forth and travel. Mm-hmm.